with what has been going on lately in Charlotte, Tulsa, and, and everything that's been going around the, this country, uh, it's, it's really, it, it's always a challenge for us to figure out what's the church's role in a situation like this. What's our role uh, to help to um, hopefully dissolve some of the turmoil that, that's going on in our nation. And, you know, that's something we need to be in prayer about because there, there's obviously no black and white answer. We would just, we would, we would know it and we'd run with it and we'd do it. But uh, we need to, as a church and as a body of believers, we need to be praying and asking the Lord what our role is to help, uh, to help this situation, to bring unity to our nation and, and let our nation be what God intended it for, for it to be, one nation under God. And uh, pray that, that, uh, that we could be his, his hands and feet to this nation. So... Uh, and, and one thing that's, that's really interesting to me, I knew I was going to be preaching this Sunday. And, and so on Monday, I had made up my mind what I was going to be sharing. I, just, I, I felt like the Lord was leading me to share a message on peace. And uh, the interesting thing is this, this all, everything kind of erupted later in the week after I'd already felt like the Lord told me to, to talk about this. So I believe the Lord has a word for us today. And uh, I believe it's, it's for us to, to be able to live in peace. Anybody in here desire the peace of God in your life? Amen. I mean, I don't think it, any, nobody would say they don't want the peace of God. That's, it's something that can be hard to attain at times in our life. And, and, uh, but God's call for us is that we would live in that peace that he gives us. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help us today, hopefully, to discover how we can pursue it and how we can live in it. And I want to share a verse with you. My text verse for the morning, for the day, is in Isaiah 26 and verse 3. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, I'm going to break that verse down in a, in a little bit, but uh, um, I just want to kind of share a little bit about that. You know, I, I've noticed for myself that the older I get, the more I desire peace in my life. I mean, I just, I live for peace. And, I, and I'm not necessarily talking about uh, the lack of conflict in life because life, there's going to be conflict in life. Amen. I mean, we, we all know that, there, that the conflict is going to come. Now, there is a peace. Someone said one time, there's a peace that only comes on the other side of war. And that's true. You know, I think of all you have to do is think about Hitler for one minute to realize that without war, uh, there would probably be no peace. If we'd have let Hitler just do what he wanted, uh, this, this world would probably look a lot different today. So I'm thankful that we, we stood up and we were willing to engage that conflict and, and win that battle so that we could have peace on the other side of that, uh, on the other side of that war. Uh, but, but there's also a peace that comes in our own life, in our personal life where we can have, it's not necessarily a lack of conflict or an absence of conflict, but what it is, is it's an, it's an ability to rest in the midst of that conflict, to be able to trust God, to not, to not let the, the things in our life, the conflicts, the turmoil in our life, to not let it consume us, but to be able to have a peace in spite of conflict. And that's what I believe God calls us to. I believe there's a place for that for us. For us. Uh, this verse in Isaiah says that he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him because he trusts him. That perfect peace there, it translated literally was, it meant per, peace, peace. Uh, the, the writer, uh, the Isaiah emphasized, I guess back in, the, in this time, uh, that when they wanted to really emphasize something, they would repeat the word. Well, that obviously doesn't translate in English. You can't say he will keep you in peace, peace. Uh, and so what they did, they took some liberty there when they translated it to say perfect peace. So God's plan for us is that he will keep us in perfect peace if our mind is, is stayed on him. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. And uh, uh, we have to learn that we cannot resolve all conflicts in our life on our timeline. Amen. I mean, if we could, uh, we would all do that. I, I know there's, I have conflict in my life right now. Um, and I would like to resolve it. But sometimes there, you, I'm sure you've all come up to situations where you realize, okay, I just can't resolve this conflict right now because of what's going on. 
There's just no way to absolutely resolve it. And so what we do is we, we pray for peace in the midst of the conflict. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the equivalent of what Jesus was doing in the boat when the disciples were, uh, when they were out on the water and the disciples were freaking out because the waves were huge and crashing. They thought they were gonna die and they go down to see Jesus sleeping in the boat, in the bottom. Now that's what I call having peace in the storm, amen? It wasn't because Jesus was lazy or didn't care. It was because he knew the situation. He knew that he could, his trust was in God, his father, amen? And so, and that's what God has called us to. And so the first point I wanna make to you today is that peace is a matter of our mind. Peace is a matter of our mind. It's not just spiritual or in our soul or in our heart. It's a matter of the mind. This is where, this is where peace starts for us. Uh, when we are living in peace, it will manifest in our life, in our actions, but it always, always starts in the mind. Now, for those of us, you know, we're Pentecostal. If, if, if you're part of New Hope and you know we're a Pentecostal church, it's easy for us as Pentecostals to lean on this whole idea that, well, you know, we could just be super spiritual sometimes. And, well, we just need to pray and ask for God to give us peace in a situation. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes he will do that. But the scriptures are very clear that God gives us the tools to have peace in our life, to take control of our own mind with his help. It's not just a matter of saying, oh, God, give me peace. He, oh, he does that. I've seen him do it. I, I've experienced it. I think the most common times that I've seen that happen where God just supernaturally just gives peace to someone is in the midst of grieving, the, the mourning the loss of a loved one or even going through a situation with a trauma in the family. I, I've heard it over and over and over again. People say, I just have this peace that I can't explain. And that's the peace of God where he just miraculously just gives it to you because you're in an urgent situation where you need it. But what I'm talking about is having that peace that's sustained that we just go through life where our, our, our life, our mind is stayed on him, where we have perfect peace that lasts through everything, that we don't have to, every time a turmoil comes up, that we don't have to start all over again and go, oh God, give me peace in the situation. But that we're kind of, we have peace in front of it. So when we get to it, we can go through it with that peace. And so there's, there's so many verses in the Bible. I was just looking up some verses this, this week of, of what, the, what the Bible says about our mind. And I just want to share like six of them real quickly with you that talk about how, how with God's help, we can control our mind. Uh, the first one's in Matthew 22, verse 37. It says, love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. So the Bible tells us to love the Lord with our mind. That's a command. That's, that's Jesus telling us that we can do this. We can actually love the Lord with our mind. We can, take our, we can, we can control our mind to, to cause it to love God. The next one is in Romans 12, verse 2. It says, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. See, that's a great thing. We can actually be transformed. Our life can be transformed if we will be diligent and intentional about renewing our mind. That's a great thing. You know, we, like I said, sometimes we just want to over-spiritualize everything and just pray that God would just do this thing in us that all of a sudden our, our thoughts are just uh, his thoughts all the time. He's telling us that we have to renew our mind. We are transformed by renewing our mind. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2.16 and also Philippians 2.5, it says that we can have the mind of Christ. We can absolutely have the mind of Christ in our life to where his thoughts are our thoughts and that our minds are fixed on him. That's some, but that's something we have to be intentional about. Uh, Philippians 3 and 19, we are not to set our mind on earthly things. Paul tells us that, that the people that, that have their mind on earthly things, they're doomed for destruction. So he's telling us, do not set your mind on earthly things. Focus on him, focus on heavenly things, the things from above. He's telling us to take our thoughts captive and to do that ourselves. Uh, Colossians 3 and 2, we are to set our mind on things above. What I just mentioned, 
That's something that Paul tells us to do. Set your mind. You do it. Don't pray and ask God to do it for you. You do it to set your mind on things above. This will bring peace in your life. This is one of the tools to giving us peace. And then the last one that I'm sharing is from 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And it says that we can take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We can take our thoughts captive. That, that, that scripture is misquoted so often about God just taking our thoughts captive for us. But it's not what it says. It's, Paul is saying there that we are to take our thoughts captive. When, when we have those thoughts that disturb the peace in our life, we can take those thoughts captive and not let them rule over us. Not let them cause uh, our emotions to take over and for us to be living in, in fear or in anxiety or in areas in a way that, that's not honoring to God and not for our best. Uh, and so that's just a few verses that, that talk about how our mind, we can control our mind. We can, we can have the strength of God in our life to, to have the thoughts that God wants us to have. And so going back to Isaiah 26, one part of that verse that, that really jumped out at me when I was reading it, it says that he whose mind is stayed on you, he will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you. That word stayed there, uh, the Hebrew for it is sawmak which I'm, I know I'm butchering the pronunciation of that, but uh, uh, it's uh, S-A-W-M-A-K. And it means to prop or to lean on or to establish. So what this verse is saying is those whose minds are leaning on God, are propped up by God, those whose minds, basically if God were to slip out from underneath, the mind would drop and hit the floor. Yeah. You know, our mind is meant to be stayed on him. That's how we get our perfect peace. And I know that sounds kind of elementary, like, well, of course, duh. If you can think about be, be in the mind and, and or be in the mindset of focusing your life on God all the time, of course that will bring peace to you. And, but, and it's easy on paper, but that's, that's a hard thing to implement in our life because that's not where our mind naturally wants to go. Yeah. You know, my mind doesn't always naturally just go to thinking about the Lord and the goodness of God. If I, if I got a situation that comes up in my life and I've got a conflict in my life, my mind naturally is going to go to that conflict and go, okay, how do I fix this? How do I fix this? And if it's a stressful situation, then it starts to mess with your stomach and your emotions and your thoughts and, and you lose sleep. And, you know, I mean, we've all experienced that where it can really consume us and overtake us. But that's why Isaiah is so, so clear here in saying that for those of us, when our mind is stayed on him, when it's leaning on him and it's fully dependent on him, he will keep us in perfect peace. That's such a great word because, because it, it's, it's so simple but not necessarily easy. Does that make sense? Um, so I guess the question would be, what upholds your mind? What is your mind leaning on? What are your, what are your, where do your thoughts naturally go? It, it's so easy for our minds to just wander. Uh, our, mind, our brain is such a complex organ. It's, it's remarkable. They, I mean, they, they only know a fraction of the, the use of our brain and what it can do and, and what its capacity is. Uh, it's, it's so unique and so complex and so for us, it's so, it can be overwhelming to think about the fact that I can actually control my mind. I can control my thoughts. I can control my brain because the mind just wants to wander. It, if, if I want my mind to wander, all I got to do is sit down and start to pray. I don't know about you guys, but my mind could go a thousand different places if I want to sit down and pray. You know, the mind, it, it's, it's not our default to be, to be focused on God, to be focused on the things of him. Now, now over time, as we mature and we grow, we we, we uh, purpose in our heart and we're deliberate and we're intentional about, about controlling our thoughts and not letting them go wild and crazy, then we get to where that is more our default. You know, when something comes up, our, our reaction is to pray. Our reaction is to worship God. Our reaction is to go to God and say, 
God, you're faithful, you're good, you're worthy, I praise you, I worship you in the midst of this situation. You know, we can get to that place, but that's not where we're going to start off as a believer. You don't get saved and all of a sudden, oh, great, all I think about now is God. You know, we, we have the honeymoon phase with the Lord. You probably had that. I know I had that. When it felt like when I first got saved, I could, I could pray whatever I wanted to pray, and it happened. You know, I was like, man, this, this praying Christian stuff is pretty cool. You know, but then you come out off that high, and God starts to show you that, well, the Christian life is actually work, too. You've got to discipline yourself, you know. And so it's, it's so important that we keep our minds stayed on him. Um, Satan loves no, nothing more than to get your mind on anything else besides God. And it's so subtle. He makes you think it's your own thoughts. It's your own, it's, it's you doing it. Sometimes it is you, but sometimes it's the enemy. The enemy hates it when our heart and our mind is focused on God. In uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, Paul says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now that word for eyes there, is, is, it's obviously not literally your eyes. We don't fix our eyes on what is unseen because you can't see what is unseen, right? So what that means there is really about fixing your thoughts. We are to fix our thoughts on what is unseen because what is seen is, is not lasting and what is unseen is eternal. So Paul's telling us here to fix our thoughts on what is unseen, to focus on trusting him. Church, this takes discipline. It really does take discipline in our life. I know we, I, I, you're probably just like me. We're all, we all would love the quick fix. Like, oh God, can I just fast for a week? And then you just all of a sudden just renew my mind and it's like that for the rest of my life. I've caught myself thinking that. I'm like, Lord, I'm gonna fast for 40 days, but then I expect the next 40 years to be perfect. <laughs> and that's when you last about 30 minutes in your fast, you know? Because all of a sudden it starts to hit you that your motives are really ridiculous. But that is kind of where we go, you know? We, want, we don't want to put in the discipline that it, that it takes to really get to these places that God wants us to get to that's in his word. You know, it, it's like wanting to, you know, have a, have a cut body and have a six pack and be ripped, but not ever go to the gym. You know, I, I wish that was possible. I, I'd pray for that all day. I'd fast for two months for that, you know, if I knew it would last. But it, we know it's, it's not necessarily fun to go to the gym. I don't know. I mean, some people enjoy it. They, or I should say some people have convinced themselves that they enjoy it. But for most of us, normal people that are really honest, we don't really like going to the gym. We don't really like working out. I, if I'm going to sweat, I would rather be chasing a ball or shooting a ball or doing something where I'm competing so I can actually feel like I've accomplished something rather than riding a bicycle that doesn't ever go anywhere. Um, and so it, it's not easy for us to be disciplined enough to go to the gym and do that. And it's obvious because if it was super easy, we would all look like a real trim fit bodybuilder. But as you can see, I don't, I don't have that. You know, my shirts keep getting bigger and bigger and, and, uh, and I, I keep trying to pray and ask God to make them get smaller and smaller, but it's just not working. So we have to be disciplined. And it's something that uh, we don't necessarily like to talk about a lot because we want, we want to be able to just kind of step into it. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that it does take work. Uh, the next part of that, that verse in Isaiah 26, or the last part of it, okay, I'll go back to it. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Now that last part, because he trusts you, this is huge. And this may, this may be a revelation for some of you, but the, the, it is hard to keep your mind fixed on God if you don't trust him, okay? And I know some of you would say, oh, wait, but I do trust him. I'm, I'm saved, I love Jesus, and that's great. And you can't, you can't get saved unless you put a level of trust in him, right? We have to trust him for our salvation. 
It's, that's, that's the only way to get saved. We do not, we're not saved by works. We're, we're saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. But that, for a lot of Christians, that's the, lev- that's the last level of trust they ever get to in their relationship with God. Somebody was telling me between services, they said, uh, some of the most miserable, miserable people in the world are Christians who don't trust God. And it's true. It's true because once we, once we get saved and we, we surrender our, our life to the Lord, we trust him for our salvation, the Holy Spirit starts to work on us and we realize there's more to this than just saying a prayer at an altar. God keeps trying to convince me or, or draw me or lead me to surrendering more of my life to him. And I don't really want to do it because I don't trust him. I trust him for my, my salvation. But other than that, I think I'm good, God. Just leave me alone. Well, how many of you know God doesn't leave you alone? His Holy Spirit keeps prodding you, keeps trying to get you to, to trust him more, to step out in faith more, to surrender more to him. So Christians that don't trust God are some miserable folk. And that may be some of you in here. I've been there. You know, you may have been hurt. You may have had a situation where God didn't come through for you like you wanted him to or like you thought he should. And so you get offended with God. And it causes you to not trust him. And church, like, I I, want to be really candid with you here because we have to be honest with ourselves whether or not we're offended with God. I know that's not Christianese. That's not something, you know, when you're talking to your buddy, when you came into church today and he's like, hey, how you doing? None of you probably said, well, you know, I'm actually pretty offended with God today. You know? We don't really do that. And it's not necessarily appropriate to do that. I'm not saying we should. Don't, don't, please don't tell everybody you're offended with God. But at the same time, we have to be real with ourselves. okay? I had a very close relative of mine just this week tell me that they are offended with God. And this is somebody that loves Jesus with all their heart. And you know what? It didn't offend God one bit when they said that. Not one little bit. God wants us to be honest with him because until we are honest with him, until we're transparent with him, we're never going to get to that next level. You can lie to yourself for years and years and say, no, I'm not offended with God. I love God. He's so good. Oh, he's worthy. And you know what the word of God says. You know what Jesus did for you. You know what the word says about even trusting him and about surrendering to him. And so you you just stand on that believing, saying like, I can't admit to myself that I'm frustrated with the Lord or that I'm hurt or that I can't trust him because I don't, he didn't do something for me in the past or just because I have trust issues because of my earthly father or whatever it might be. And it's, if, unless we're honest with him and transparent and say, God, I'm having a hard time trusting you. It's like God's standing there waiting for us to say that so he can say, okay, well, now I can deal with that. We don't offend God by being real with him, amen? If we can't be real with God, who can, be, who can we be real with? And so we have to be able to trust him if we wanna have his peace in our life. I mean, it is, a, it is a very clear, obvious prerequisite to having the peace of God in your life is that you have to be able to trust him. And he's not gonna stomp you out or, or do something to you if you admit that you don't trust him. Admitting it is the first phase of being able to get past it and to be able to really be able to trust him and, 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 show, and, and him showing himself faithful to you. I would encourage you if, that, if that's where you're at, you, it's so important that we are connected to other believers that we can share that with, that, you know, that it won't freak somebody out if you tell them that you don't trust God or you're offended with God. We have to be able to talk through these things and be able to pray through them and be honest with who we are. But if we will trust him, we will keep our mind stayed on him, then we will experience his peace. Uh, Proverbs 3 and verse 5, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
Now, you guys know the next verse says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Such a powerful verse. That word lean in this verse, lean not on your own understanding, that is the same root word as the word stayed in Isaiah 26, 3. For those whose minds are stayed on him, it's the same word for lean. So what they're saying is just like your mind is to be leaning on God in Proverbs 3, 5, he's saying, don't lean on your own understanding. And this, I've never seen this as a command. This is not a command from God. Don't lean on your own understanding. You know, in all your ways, acknowledge me. It's, he's, what he's doing is he's giving us permission. He's saying, listen, I know your mind, you want to trust your own thoughts and your own because you, you're self-preserving. That's the human nature. But I'm giving you permission not to lean on your own understanding. I'm giving you permission to trust in me. What a wonderful promise from God. That's why I love this verse so much. It's such a, it's such a beautiful promise where he's saying, you don't have to trust yourself. Don't worry about trusting yourself. Lean on me. Trust me. Lean into me. Prop yourself up on me. I'll never slip out from under you, ever. You can trust me and I'll take you and I will direct your paths and you're going to see how good I am. You're going to see my faithfulness in your life if you will trust me. I love that he gives us that permission in, in that verse. In fact, one, another version, it says, um, um, that, uh, it, it says insight. Tr- don't trust the Lord or don't tr- lean on your own insight. Lean on his insight because our insight is, always, is flawed and too often times is, uh, is not in line with what God's would be. So what I want to do is uh, I want to give you some enemies of the peace, okay? Disturbing the peace. Anybody ever has seen uh, in your neighborhood had the cops called because somebody was disturbing the peace um, and you want to, and it's at two in the morning and you're trying to sleep and you can't because there's crazy part, people partying in your neighborhood. Well, that's, that's what the enemy does in our life. He wants to disturb the peace in your life. And he brings, he brings all kinds of stuff to try to keep you from peace because peace is so important in our life. Because like I said earlier, it starts in the mind, but it manifests in our actions. If we're not at peace in our life, it shows by our actions. And, that's, and God wants so badly for us. You know, one of the names for Jesus in Isaiah 9, where it talks about, you know, gives the prophecy of Jesus coming. It talks about him being the prince of peace. That's a beautiful thing. You know, that, that verse, t- it gives four definitions of God, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, three very, very powerful things. Oh, and by the way, he's also the prince of peace. That's a beautiful thing. If Isaiah felt the, the need to mention that through that prophecy, that he is our prince of peace, that's a big deal. That's something God wants us to have. So obviously the enemy is gonna do what he can to keep us from having it. And the first thing, the first enemy of peace is by far the biggest one that steals our peace, and that's fear. Fear is the biggest theft, thief of peace in our life. Uh, I, I hear preachers uh, talk about it all the time that you could, in any church in America, you could preach on fear once a month and you would never, never use it up. Because fear is like, preaching on fear is like shooting fish in a barrel because it, it resonates with literally almost everybody. You know, now, the fears we struggle with are different depending on who you are. Some struggle with, with fear of just the unknown, fear of finances, fear in relationships, fear of death, fear of, and then if you're, you fear your own death, then you have a family, then you fear your kids getting hurt. Or, I mean, the fears are so innumerable, it's ridiculous. And, you can feel, and it, it's a constant battle with us to fight against fear in our life. And the, and, but what the, the, one of the worst things fear does in our life is it takes our peace. It totally takes our peace. You know, I preached a, a message here at the church, probably been a couple years ago, that I, I call, was called Fear is a Liar. 
because God gave me a, a revelation one day of just how much of a liar fear really is. You know, 99% of our fears never come true, but they, but they totally control us and cripple us in our life sometimes because we're so worried about those things. You know, I never really struggled with fear much until I had kids. Then when you have kids and you realize how much you're, you know, they're, they're so helpless and you love them so much and you start thinking of all the things that could happen to them. And then you watch the news and with the 24 hour news cycle now, you hear of every little thing that happens around the world that's not good. And so it's easy to let that stuff kind of flow through you and, and become fear that you're manifesting towards your own family. And so fear is just, it's always there. It's always wanting to get in the door. It's knocking on the door constantly to get into your life all the time. And I, I don't think fear is something we ever fully just conquer and it just goes away and we don't deal with it anymore. It's something we have to constantly be diligent and aggressive against to stand on the word of God and to not allow fear to take over our life. Um, and one of the, one of the points that, that has resonated with me so much is that fear is not the lack of trust. It's trust in the wrong thing. And the battle for trust in our lives begins in our mind. And that's where fear comes in. So fear is not a lack of trust. You're definitely trusting something when you're fearful. You're just trusting the bad is going to happen. And, you're, and if you allow your mind to, it'll reside there, it'll settle there, and just stay there. And you will trust in the bad things all your life. And it manifests by our actions. You know, we, we, uh, we're fearful about uh, whatever it might be. If you're fearful about money, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you'll always be fearful. If you're fearful about your health, it doesn't matter how good you feel, you'll always be fearful about your health. And that's, it's one of the biggest enemies against, our, against peace in our lives. And it's something that we have to diligently fight against. And you know, we could preach on fear for two months probably and not cover it all. But I just wanna tell you today that we do not have to live in fear. Amen. We do not have to live in fear. It is a choice for us. It really is a choice, but it comes down to whether or not we're willing to trust God and, and not trust our fears, not trust that the bad things are gonna happen, but be able to trust him. No matter what your history, no matter what you've seen, you know, some of you would say, yeah, it's easy for you to say, but I've seen this happen in my life and this happened and I saw this happen to a friend of mine and how do I know that's not gonna happen to me? And some of us, you know, full disclosure here, some of us are just wired more to fear and to have more anxiety and worry in our life. Some of us, I, God bless you, I don't, I don't know why. Some people are just wired that way more than others. Some can just kind of, go through life and they don't have a lot of fears that really come at them. But for those of, but there's no excuse for us. If you're wired to be fearful, it's still not an excuse because we serve a pretty awesome God, right? And if we serve him, we can trust him and know that he's gonna be with us in everything we go through. So the second one is guilt. Guilt is, a, is something that steals our peace if we allow it to. And we have no reason to have any guilt between us and God. Amen. If you are a born again believer, if you are saved, there is no reason for any one of us to have guilt in our relationship with God. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen and hallelujah. So we have been justified through faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you feel guilty in your relationship with God, stop it, <laughs> okay? I mean, there's just no reason for it. That's a lie of the enemy. The Bible's very clear in 1 John, it says, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us, but not only to forgive us, 
but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the best verses in all the Bible. You, you, the enemy starts making you feel guilty about your relationship with God, you just quote 1 John. That's all you gotta do. We are justified by faith because of the grace of God. So we have no reason to feel guilty between us and God. And, and that really does take our peace. Now, you know, if you're like me, I grew up, I've said this before, I grew up in a, in a very traditional church and, and I'm not gonna say it was the church's fault, but I struggled with works and being religious and feeling like I had to do certain things a certain way. And I lived feeling guilty between me and God. I felt like God was always upset at me because I never measured up. And it wasn't until I had a revelation of the grace of God that I feel like I actually even got saved. I don't even know if I was saved before. I was more of a Pharisee than anything. But when I had that revelation of God's grace, I realized, okay, I, I can mess up. It doesn't give me a license to do whatever I want, but it does say that you can mess up and you're not gonna lose your salvation. You're not gonna lose the grace of God. That's what the grace of God is there for. If we could measure up ourselves, why would Jesus have to die, right? He died for us because he knew we weren't good enough. Amen. So there's no reason for us to be guilty between us and God. But now sometimes we have guilt between us and others. You know, you may have relationships where you struggle with guilt based on something that happened. Maybe you've wronged somebody in the past. Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've done things to people that you're not proud of and you have a hard time. You've never been able to reconcile that. And you, there's guilt that you live with and that guilt takes your peace because of relationships or because of mistakes you've made in business or at work and uh, you've got fired from your job, whatever it is, things like that, that you just live in guilt. Well, you need to know that first of all, all we can do is what we can do. We, we work as hard as we can to live at peace with everyone, right? In fact, there's a verse in uh, Romans 12. I'm gonna read it, verse 17 and 18. It says, do not repay evil or do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Okay, so that's an exhortation for those of you if you're feeling guilty about relationships. Just do everything you can do. Paul said there, as far as it depends on you. He's saying basically sometimes there are times you, you can't make peace with everyone. Depending on the situation, sometimes just peace is not going to be made. But what we can do is do everything in our power to live at peace and know that as long as we're doing everything we can do, there's no reason for us to feel guilty about anything from our past, anything from our past. God cleans it all for us. It's all, all of our sins, all of our shortcomings, our, all of our inadequacies are under the blood of Jesus forever. Amen. All right. So the next one is envy, envy or jealousy. Okay. Uh, envy is absolutely an enemy of peace. This is something too that uh, it, it's, it's easier for us not to deal with it um, than it is to deal with it because uh, jealousy is something that, that is, it's bred in our culture. You know, our culture breeds jealousy because, because of the fact that we're so blessed as a nation, uh, with blessing comes the competitiveness, right? Because you see, well, I'm really blessed, but I see, man, this guy over here is blessed a little more than me. And that, I don't like that, you know? And uh, again, that's something else. We don't really like to be honest with ourselves about it for some reason, it, 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 because it's not spiritual and because we know it's not good, but we really don't know how to fix it. You know, it does, I can't, we can't figure out why we're not happy for a friend of ours that's, that just got a raise and they're making more money than us. Can't figure out why we're not happy for them because we know we should be, but we really wish that was us. And so we don't know how to, how to be happy for them. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to get past that that envy, especially if it's something that's kind of in your nature, if you're wired that way a little bit, you know? And I, I just think there, there's a verse that, uh, 
that I want to share that is uh, in Hebrews 13, 5. The writer of Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Be content with what you have. You know, I, I've said it before. I, I've, I've spent a lot of time in, in developing nations around the world. I spent a year in West Africa and have been to a lot of places that are incredibly poor, some of the poorest places in our world. And something that I have always noticed that has stuck with me my whole life is that you can go, uh, you can go to a, a third world nation, you go visit, you know, Christians, other believers, you know, we get, we was, when I lived in West Africa, we got plugged into a church there that we were helping and we go visit some of the people from the church uh, during the week. And inevitably you'd go to these places and there's this family of eight, uh, mom and dad and six kids, and they're living, literally living in a canvas tent. That's like not even as nice as what most of us would be willing to sleep in if we went camping here in the States. And their whole life is inside this tent. And they are the most content, happy people you'll ever meet. And it always blew my mind because I remember you look at them and I think they have less than a tenth of what I have and they're happier than I am. And that makes me mad. If I'm honest with myself, that ticks me off. I'm like, okay, well then that tells me that obviously joy and happiness and contentment doesn't come with stuff. You know, because Jesus said that I have come that they would have life and have it more abundantly, have it to the full, some versions say. Well, if that, the Bible is for everybody, right? It wasn't written for Americans. We all agree on that. Okay, so if, the, if Jesus said, I've come that you would have life and have it to the full, he's saying that's, that applies for everybody. Anybody that would accept him and live their life for him, they're going to have life to the full. Well, then that can't be about stuff because I don't care how hard somebody in West Africa tries, they're not going to be able to live in a house the same size as mine. So it's obviously not about stuff. So having life to the full, being content in life is not about how much stuff you have. It's not about keeping up with the Joneses. It's not about making sure you have everything that you think you need, right? But it gets, it's bred in our culture so much. And we've become, we become accustomed to that. Like, you know, when you, when you get married, you start having a family. It's like, okay, well, now I need a, a good sized house. And every one of my kids has to have their own room and have to have their own bathroom. And, and I got to have plenty, plenty big yard. I got to have two, three cars. I need a, a weekend car too. And, uh, you know, I need all the, I need a, my TV is only a 60 inch. I mean, that's ridiculous. I got to have at least 85 inches, you know? And, um, but just the, the things that, that the, the jealousy that can get bred in our culture because of the fact that we always look at what other people have. And it's easy for us not to be content with that, with what we have, because we don't have as much as they have. And that is something that always will always steal our peace every time. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. What a strong statement. Envy rots the bones. I, I've been there where I, was je- where I would be jealous of people. Now, I will say as I get older, I, start, I, I see that uh, I don't care so much about what other people have. I, I love being at a place in life where I really legitimately can be happy when people have stuff that I don't have. That's a great feeling. Like, I can really be happy for you. I love that. And some of that does come with experience usually, but, but it's really, it's a, it's, a, it's a matter of understanding God's heart for us, that he wants us to be content, that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, right? And so being able to be happy for others, to not be jealous, to not be competitive, to not worry about what the Joneses are doing, not worry about what, what somebody has that you don't have, because that does steal our peace. And it's something we have to learn to be content with and, and ask the Lord to help us with that and, and to really control our mind in that. 
not let our mind go to those places where we're jealous or, or competitive with other people. So the next one is anger. For some of us, this is huge. This can be a really big deal because peace and anger do not coexist well. Amen. Um, Proverbs 19.11 says, man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. It is to your glory to overlook an offense. Now, now when it comes to anger, you know, anger will steal peace in a hurry. I mean, it, I, I grew up in a household where one of my parents would get angry. And when that happened, there was no peace in the home. And, uh, and in my home today, I have a, I have one child that, uh, will re- remain nameless, but when she gets angry, the peace in the home leaves. And I find myself telling her, sitting down with her and saying, you're not going to steal the peace out of this home. If you do, I'm going to steal some comfort from you, namely in the, the form of your backside, you know? Um, and so we know what anger does, how it can displace peace in a home, but it's the same way in our own personal lives. If you struggle with anger, you know, some of us, some of us, anger's not a big deal. I, I really, I have a pretty long fuse. Anger's not a big deal to me. Some of you may struggle with anger where, where you, you get angry and you're just, maybe you're just a really passionate person, you know, and, and you struggle with, with being angry. And, and when things don't go right, you see injustice. It's just hard for you to not get really angry about it. Well, what it says here in Proverbs is that it is to our glory when we overlook an offense. Now that's not saying we just sweep stuff under the rug and we don't worry about it. And, um, you know, we just ignore everything, but there, there are some offenses that we need to address. There are some, we just need to overlook. You know, it's why we talk about forgiveness so much in the church. Like it's so important to forgive. And it's not saying that what happened to you wasn't legitimately a cause for you to be frustrated. But what the Bible tells us is that it's so important that we forgive because when we hold on to anger, we hold on to resentment and bitterness. What all that does in our life is uh, it just hurts us. You know, somebody said one time, unforgiveness is like pouring, uh, pouring gas on yourself and lighting a match and hoping the other person burns. You know, it, it doesn't work. You're, you're only hurting yourself. And it, it's such a peace stealer in our lives. And for us to really want peace, we have to be willing to deal with anger and, uh, and, and not let it take over our life, not let it control us. Um, there's a, 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 an analogy that I was thinking of this week that we have, um, we have a, a garbage can out in the garage that we put all of our like stinky trash out there. I'm sorry if nobody else has any stinky trash. We do have some. And uh, we don't want it stinking up the house. So we put it out there. And, but I'll, I'll notice, especially in the summer, like I flip the light on and go out in the garage, it's like there's usually a few cockroaches that scatter. You know, I know that's gross. And if, you, if nobody else has cockroaches in their garage, I'm sorry. Well, I guess we're slobs. But um, no, actually, we're pretty clean people. I think most people would agree with that. But for some reason, the garage just, they, they, they like it out there. You know, we're in Georgia. You're going to have cockroaches. It's just a fact. And, um, and my kids, you know, like they won't even want to go out in the garage. You know, I tell them to go out and throw something in the garbage. They're like, oh, I ain't going out there. I'm barefooted and there's cockroaches. And, you know, so I have to go out and turn the light on and let a couple of them scatter so they can actually go out. And, you know, it's easy for me to get frustrated sometimes because they are, they're gross. Cockroaches are the nastiest things. And, you know, you, I'll go out there and I'll kill a couple of them. And, but then you got to scrape them up. Yeah, anyway. Um, and so, and, and, you know, it's, it's easy to get frustrated at the cockroaches. But at the same time, it's like, well... I have stinky garbage out there and you know, we all know cockroaches love stinky stuff. So rather than get mad at the cockroaches and, and just keep killing them, it might be better just to take my garbage out of my garage. 
and put it outside, you know? Like, instead of going, looking at the symptom, let's look at the source. And I think for some of us, some of our anger in our life is based on, uh, we're, we're more angry at the symptoms when really, in, in reality, we may need to take some garbage out of our life. You know, you may be angry at things that are happening around you, but it's happening because you got garbage that you're just allowing to fester in your garage. So it's important for us that we are willing to look at ourselves and say, okay, is my anger legitimate or is it because I've got other issues? Am I holding on? Do I have bitterness or resentment towards a certain area in life? And that's why I'm angry about all these other things that seem trivial rather than get angry at all these things. Let's just, how about we deal with ourselves and make sure that our hearts are pure and that we're, we're taking trash out in our own lives. Cause you know, trash builds up. Trash builds up. My garbage man comes twice a week. It doesn't matter how many times he comes, it feels like I've always got trash to give him. You know, it never stops coming. And so we always have to be dealing with it. Let's take the trash out, amen? And let's deal with that anger in our life. Okay, and then the last one is pride. Now this, I could camp out here for a week or or so too. James 4, 6, it says, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Church, we have to get to the place in our life where we hate the pride in our life because pride absolutely steals peace from us. And we have to be real with ourselves. This is just like the jealousy. This is, uh, this is like those issues. This is another one of those issues in our life that we don't like to talk about a whole lot. We don't like to deal with. We just try to gloss over and act like it's not really there. But pride is an issue in, our life, in a lot of our lives. It's a, it can be an issue in my life. God has broken so much pride off of me. And every time I think that I've got all the pride gone, uh, there's more revealed. It's constant. And, um, and I feel like, you know, I, I allow the Lord to work on those things, but there's, all, there's definitely areas that I've, I've got in my own life where I, I don't really want to deal with it. You know, I just kind of gloss over it and act like it's not really a big deal. And what I've found is that the longer it takes for me to humble myself in a situation, the harder my heart gets. And that's true for us as humans. The longer it takes us to humble ourselves, the harder our heart gets. And you know, with conflict uh, and, and being able to live in peace, uh, humility is so important. It's so important. You know, in, in every marriage, or I shouldn't say in every marriage, most marriages, there's one, that, there's one of the two that's more determined to resolve conflict when you have a conflict. Um, it does, it's not necessarily the woman. In fact, in my marriage, um, since Joy's not in here, I want to tell you that I'm the one that wants to bring peace more often than her. Um, she's more of the type that would just like to, you know, stew a little bit and, and wait. I'm like, as soon as we have uh, what I like to call heated conversation, heated discussion, um, or is it heated fellowship? That's the Christian term. Heated fellowship. Uh, I'm wanting to like get, get through it quickly. Like, let's deal with it. Like, what are you mad at me about? I did what? Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Are we done now? You know, um, always trying to, to get past conflict. And I mean, I can honestly say I don't have a lot of pride when it comes to having a, a disagreement with my wife. I really don't. It's, it's for me, it's like, it's, it's almost too easy for me to say I'm sorry. In fact, sometimes I say it so quickly, she doesn't even believe me. She's like, no, no, you don't even mean it. You just want to get over this, you know? Um, I, it, it's, just, it's not that hard for me. In fact, there's times, you know, like I said, she's not in here. I hope she doesn't watch the video, but I've apologized for things I haven't done just to get through a situation, you know, to get on the other side of it. And, uh, and she's great too. It's not like we argue a lot. We don't even argue much, but I just think about the times that we do. Um, but it, it, it's so, it, it's so the, the pride in our life, when it, we have conflict, when we have turmoil in our life, the pride, it'll rise to the surface if it's there. 
it comes up quickly and it lets itself be known. And the longer we go without humbling ourselves, the harder it is to, to actually humble yourself. People have lived their whole lives not willing to humble themselves about something and allowed it to ruin or taint their whole life because we're not willing to be humble in a situation. And you know, it's, it's just a choice we have to make. It really is. What's more important to you? Is it more important to you to keep your pride and to, to be right or to, have, or to win? Or is it more important to have peace? To have that peace of God because the peace of God doesn't come. The Bible says clearly that God opposes the proud but gives his grace to the humble. I don't know about you guys, but I want God's grace. And I ain't gonna let no winning an argument or winning anything be stand in the way. I, I'm, I'm like, whatever I gotta do to get through this, I will humble myself in a heartbeat when it comes to my relationships because I wanna, I wanna have peace and I want God's grace in my life. And so that's something we have to be determined to do because pride will steal your peace in a heartbeat. So in closing, I'm gonna ask uh, Steve and the band to come up. I wanna close by, by sharing a verse with you. This is, you know, when you think about the peace of God, this is probably the first verse that comes to our mind all the time because we, we quote it all the time. It's something that, you know, we pray a lot and it's in Philippians four, verses four through nine. I wanna read it for you. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then this is the key verse. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's another verse where he's saying we can control our thoughts. We can think about those things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, something that's really interesting here, that word guard, it says where the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. That word guard there is a military term. It's like a, it's like a, it's not just guarding like, you know, ooh, it'll hold you back. It's literally like a soldier standing there guarding your heart. God himself will stand there and guard your heart with the peace that he wants to give you. But there's prerequisites to this peace, okay? There's, there's four of them that I just wanna show you real quickly. The very first verse, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, okay? So again, he's emphasizing, he's saying it twice. So he's really want to emphasize that it's important that we rejoice in the Lord always, we're not rejoicing because we're going through stress or turmoil or, or anxiety or, or conflict. That's not why we rejoice. We're rejoicing in the Lord because for no other reason, we're just rejoicing in him because thank God, I don't have to go through this alone. You know, he's saying we have to rejoice in the Lord always, every time, all, in all situations. And then it says display, let your gentleness be evident to all. So it wants us to display our gentleness to everyone. So it's okay, church, for us to be gentle, Okay. There's no, there's no place in the word of God where it talks about us being harsh and, being, and that being a prerequisite to the peace of God. The peace of God, the, one of the prerequisites is gentleness, okay? All the clerics in the house, gentleness is a good thing, okay? Amen. My, I, got a, I got a cleric wife, so I, I'm, I, now I want her to listen to this because I want her to know it. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But, but gentleness is definitely something that, uh, that God wants us to have as a prerequisite to that. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything, Okay, don't be anxious. That's another one. 
He's telling us we don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry. You don't have to, don't come to God with this anxiety of like, oh God, what am I going to do? And, and have that attitude of like anxiety. We can come to him boldly and confidently and know that he's there with us. And then finally, it says to present your request to God with thanksgiving. Okay. Thanksgiving is always, Psalm says to enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. That's referring to how we come into the presence of God. We always, always, always should come into the presence of God, into our relationship with God, into a conversation with God with thanksgiving. Because there's always something to be thankful for. We could, we, this is, it prepares our heart. It gets us in that state of mind where he wants us to be. I, I, I can honestly say I'm, I have such a habit of anytime I pray, anytime I talk to the Lord, it, I always start it with thanksgiving. Always. And it's not token. It's not just out of a habit. I mean it with my heart. I don't care if something horrible just happened. When I come to God in prayer, I'm going to start off by thanking him just for the fact that I know he's with me and I know I can come to him and I got this bad situation, but oh, I just happen to know the maker and creator of the whole universe. So I'm going to thank him that he's here with me and I don't have to worry about whether or not he hears my prayers. Amen. So if we do those things, if we, if we see those prerequisites, then we can know that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts like a military so that we will have his peace in our life. Would you please stand with me? We're going to pray. I'm going to ask the prayer leaders to come quickly, please. And what I'd like to do, if, if you want prayer for anything today, please feel free to come up to these prayer leaders. If you need prayer for, uh, for maybe a sickness and you or in a family member that you wanted to believe in prayer with you for healing, we believe God heals. If you need financial healing, we believe God heals the finances. If you need emotional healing, if you, just, if you have any requests at all, please feel free to come up and, and let these prayer leaders pray with you. But if you, wanna, if, if you would like to be prayed for just in the area of peace in your life, the peace of God that transcends understanding, that basically means the peace of God that makes no sense in our mind, then I want you to come to the center here and I want to pray over you. We're going we're to pray together. And uh, I'm just going to believe God to help you in that area this week to, uh, to take control over your thoughts, to take control over your mind, to be able to trust him and to be able to lean on him and let him be, your, let him be the one that your mind has stayed on, as the scripture says. So go, you can start coming now. The altars are open. You can come up and let the prayer leaders pray with you. Or you can come to the middle here. We're going to pray in a minute. And just believe God to, to go with us and give us the strength to do this.